0: Uh, this morning and tomorrow, if you're a guest and you've been visiting, you'll kind of want to know tomorrow, next Sunday. Uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, you've been visiting with us and kind of want to know more about the DNA of Crosspoint, well, the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at our core values, uh, in a sense, gearing up, uh, to start back in Acts. And uh, we've been in Acts for, I don't know, two years, two years, Luke says two years, uh, and we're finally to chapter 15. Uh, and so we, uh... Uh, but on the the twentieth, we will have kind of a, or the twenty-seventh, we'll have kind of recap where we've been, and then the first Sunday in September, Lucas started us in Acts 15. We'll spend a couple of weeks in Acts 15 there and move forward. But the next two weeks, this week and next week, uh, kind of looking at our core values, if you will. And I actually on the screen, uh, this is kind of here's our core values. You see it in the four year, uh, truth, people, and mission. And so at Crosspoint, we say that we exist for God's glory. Uh, The reason why individually as believers we exist, the reason even why we've been saved is to glorify God uh, for his glory. But as a church, we exist for none other, nothing more, nothing less than the glory of God. And we believe the best way that we can do that individually and corporately is we commit ourselves to three things. We commit ourselves to God's truth. Uh, that's why when you come here, you will quickly understand that like, one of the, the most important thing we do on Sunday morning is to preach the word of God. Uh, we believe that it is the centerpiece of all that the church does. It is what drives the ship of the church. And if, if, we're, if we're missing here, then we're missing elsewhere. And so we commit ourselves to God's truth, not just preaching it, but even as members to, to commit ourselves to it in small groups and in, uh, individual uh, personal study of God's word. So we commit ourselves to God's truth. Second, we, we, we believe we can bring God glory when we commit ourselves to God's people. Uh, we believe that as believers, when God saves us, uh, He saves us to a people. We actually don't see that in the text this morning in First Peter, that we were once not a people, but now we're God's people. Uh, and that we, we function, we operate uh, in a way that God's designed, not isolated, but whenever we're connected to other believers. Uh, so when we commit ourselves to God's people, and lastly, we commit ourselves to God's mission. And so for the next uh, two weeks, we're going to kind of highlighting those. Uh, next week, we'll stay more in kind of God's people getting ready for small groups. But this morning, we're going to be in First Peter. And as if you've been with me long enough, you know that the two books of the Bible that I enjoy preaching out of the most is the Book of Psalms and the Book of First Peter. And so, uh, I'm excited the Lord directed me here. Uh, I told Luke this morning. I've, I've probably taught through the whole Book of First Peter three to four times and I've used it multiple times, but I'm thankful that the word of God is alive and it's active that you keep going to it and God shows you new things and you connect dots even more than you ever have. And so if you don't know much about first Peter it's written by the apostle Peter uh, and his, his written, we see who he writes it to in verse one where it says to those who are the elect exiles uh, of the dispersion. So there's great persecution that's happening. People's lives are being uprooted uh, they are losing family members. They're losing homes. They're—they uh, are not the most popular people within the so, the society and the culture. From from top down, that even the, the the rulers were even trying to turn people against Christians and things that were going on and. Uh, And so they were living in times that they were losing their homes, their jobs, even family members, and even at a risk for losing their own life. So you would imagine that when Peter wrote this, that he would write them simply just to tell them, you know, to encourage them or just uh, write them and tell them, you know, it's going to be okay. Uh, but when he begins his letter, first of all, he calls them the elect exiles, which is just two words that seem weird put together, right? So you got one sense, the chosen, God's people, but you're exiles, as in you're not your home. So he starts the letter to remind them, hey, what you're walking through is as worse as this going to be because you're not, this is not your home. You're, you have a home that's in heaven you're, your citizenship is in heaven you're in a, you're an exile here and so he begins the letter by pointing their eyes up. he starts with hey blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who's called you to be born again to a living hope so immediately when he starts off the letter he he tells them to look up and remember what God has done in their life but I'm going to pick up in verse 22 and, and and what I want you to see in this text chapter one verse 22 is that these people were living in extreme persecution. They were legged exiles. And what we'll see this morning in verses 122 to 212 is that, that Peter challenged them really with three imperatives. And that's gonna be the points for the text this morning. But he challenged them, he called them to love God's people, to long for God's truth, and to live for God's glory. And what you'll see as we walk through this that our core values, this is just something that we thought sounded cool. It's, it's what you see in Scripture over and over again that the call for the church is to love God's people, to, to long for God's word, and to live for God's glory, live for God's mission. And so, anyway, let's begin to read chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not with the perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god for all flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower fell, falls but the word of the lord remains forever and this word is the good news that has been preached to you that was preached to you so or therefore put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the exorcism of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word, and we pray now that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, and faith to believe uh, your word this morning, God. We pray that more than anything that uh, your son will be lifted up high. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. I'm thankful for the word of God. You see how it's just saturated through uh, the call to love one another, the call to seek after him, the call to even uh, to, to proclaim his excellences And I. Uh, I I heard this quote the other day, uh, but Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, was once asked, how do you defend the Bible? And Spurgeon responded, defend the Bible. I'd sooner sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible. You just open this cage and let it roar. Uh, And I'm thankful that with with God's word that we just open it up. We let it do its work that we don't get in the way. Uh, we don't try to add too much to it, and we don't try to take away from it. We just teach what it says. And so this morning, I broke up the text. And I think that there's, there's really three imperatives that we see through this text. And in between the second and third imperative, there's kind of almost an affirmation whenever and when he, when he switches to, but you're a chosen race. And so uh, I, I titled the, the sermon this morning, Love, Long Live. And that's the three imperatives that he, he, he calls them to love God's people. He calls them to long for God's truth, and he calls them... To live for God's glory. So if taking notes number one, a call to love. We see it in verses twenty-two through twenty-five. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure. Heart. The first thing that Peter does when he's writing, so so far before verse 22, he's really been individual, if you will. He's, he's been reminding the individual of how God has saved them and gave them a living hope and, and how they have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading to, to set your eyes there that though now you may walk through various trials, but it's actually producing something. He's given the individual, if you will, encouragement to keep going, and now he shifts to not the individual but to the corporate side of Christianity. He says, hey, listen to me, he's calling them in the midst of this, in the midst of the world that is not liking you, in the midst of your hard times, in the midst of everything, the first thing he commands them to do is to love one another. He says, having having washed yourself or having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for sincere brotherly love, love one another. What we understand, first of all, scripturally, is that salvation gives us this, this capacity to love. Because this love that he's talking about with this sincere brotherly love is something that's a supernatural type of love. That the, the love that you and I can have for one another because we're born again, because we're children of God, is a supernatural type of love. And it only becomes, we only have the capacity to that uh, through being born again, through salvation. That salvation gives us this capacity to love one another. And I want you to see this. Uh, matter of fact, majority of them, and so what I'm about to say, don't say, he just said not to love the lost people. So don't, before I say what I say, don't label me saying, Justin tells us we don't have to love people who don't know Jesus. But scripturally, you know what 99% of the commands to love is? To love God's people. It's to love the people who Christ died uh, to purchase. Obviously we love all people because God is love and we want all people to know salvation, but there is a a special love that the brethren has. It's it's a it's one that we have been redeemed and we're called to love one another, which which is important in our church culture today because a lot of people want to say they love Jesus but despise the church. Uh, P.J. Weeks once said it like this: telling saying that you can love Jesus and not the church is like saying telling a man that you can you like him but you don't like his wife. That relationship's not going to work out well. And that's the picture is that. You and I, we're called to love one another. Why? Because God calls us to. And the good news is is that because of salvation, we now have the capacity to love each other supernaturally. Because of the work of the cross, because of the new nature that is given to us in being born again, which we'll get to in a second, now we have the capacity within us with the Holy Spirit abiding with us and the Word of God, the capacity to love one another. And what does he say? To love each other earnestly or fervently literally means it's a picture of stretching a muscle to its max. As in... You're, you're about to pull your muscle. You're straining so hard. Peter is telling love each other to the max. Love each other to where it hurts. Love each other to commit to one another so much that it's like the stretching of a muscle. To love each other fervently or earnestly. But notice it says that this love, as like I said, comes from how we've, how we've purified our souls through obedience to the truth. We love because we've been purified by the obedience. The word purified, as in it's, it's, it's a word that means that it's something that happened in the past but has continual results or continued effects in our life now that there was something for me and you as children of God, there's something that happened back here at some point that is still affecting us today, that is still having changes today. And it is that we've purified our souls by our obedience to the truth. You say, Justin, that sounds like Peter's teaching that we purified ourselves because we did something. That it don't are always saved by faith. We're purified by faith. We're saved by faith. And what, Paul, what Peter's doing here is not necessarily uh, saying that. What he's doing is that obedience is the definition of faith. Is that whenever that faith isn't an abstract idea, but faith is active. That, that whenever you trusted in Christ, that it was an act of obedience to the gospel that was preached to you. Obedience is the evidence of faith, or, or faith defined. Truth isn't just something to know but to obey, that faith is active. And he said, listen to me, when you came to know Jesus, whenever you place your faith in Jesus, God did something, that he purified your soul. He made you clean. And because of that purification, now you can love one another earnestly. You can love one another as you have been loved. Because love for Christ, I believe scripturally, is displayed in two main ways. Did you know that love for Christ, the main way we display love for Christ, isn't that we raise our hands when we're singing songs? Like I was watching Evie this morning, and uh, she's standing there, and she's got her eyes closed doing her hands. She's, she's not a Christian, but, she, but, she, but you would imagine, hey, she, she loves Jesus. No, that's not the definition of loving Jesus. Uh, and so what is the main way that our love for Jesus is displayed? I think two ways. One is our obedience to it. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. And I think the second way, I think scripture that we see that our love for Jesus is displayed is love for his people. I think that what we see is that God does such a work that, in salvation and purification of our souls, if you will, that he does such a work that I love you, even if we have nothing in common outside of the grace of Jesus that we both experience. And so think about this first imperative that he gives. Their world is being turned upside down, and he tells them, love one another. must be pretty important. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, only by the power of the gospel can we love purely and not selfishly. This is a supernatural love. Not only is salvation this being purified, not only is it is it, the, it gives us the capacity to love, but also salvation gives us the necessity to love. Well, look at verse 23. It says, since you have been born again, to love one another earnestly with a brotherly affection, because you've been born again, because you've been born from above, because God has done a work in your life, it's the necessity now to love one another. It's the necessity to love The brother, since you've been born again, born from above. And it gives the the picture of how it is. It's not with a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. That you and I, uh, life, seed is the giver of life in plants, animals, and humans. And when we're born in this world, we're born with a perishable seed that we will all die. But in salvation, when we're born again, it's an imperishable seed that will not be defiled, that will not fade, that will not be destroyed, that is eternal. And he says, because you've been born again, I'm calling you to love one another. Commit to God's people. Well, don't you to notice? Notice what the active agent is in both the purification and the being born again is what? Through your obedience to the truth. And look, verse 23 tells us what that imperishable seed is through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all this glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, this, this word is the good news that was preached to you. What he's saying, listen to this song, we commit ourselves to God's truth. God, because God's truth is, is the agent in salvation, it's also the agent in you and I loving one another. That's, that's the picture here is that uh, while we commit ourselves to God's truth, because it is how we know Jesus, it's how we love Jesus, it's how we love one another. We commit ourselves to God's truth, it's a call to love. And so here's the question here's how we connect that. Do we want people to come to know Jesus? And we must preach the word. Do we want the church to love one another? We must preach the word because it is by the word that, the, that the, the, the laws get justified and the saints get sanctified and they love one another. It's the preaching of the word. It's a call to love and it necessitates the preaching of the word. This call is to love believers. The word is what fuels our capacity to love. So first of all, there's a call to love that Peter gives. And you can see why at cross when we say we are committed to God's truth in God's people and God's mission is because the word itself is the active agent. It changes. Next we see there's a call to long. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, so, and it's kind of like when we were in Psalm 19 last week, remember when David was writing Psalms and it was telling what the law of the Lord could do. I was perfect. Rejo- uh, re- 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 get filling the heart with joy and it, it does the work and then he says, so, it should be desired more than anything else. And so Peter's writing here and says, this is what the word of God is, and it's what it's done. So, because this is what the word of God has done in your life, it says, so put away all malice and all deceit and, a, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So, Justin, how is that a call to long? Let we'll keep reading verse 2. It says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, put away all of these things. Not just some of them, put away all of these things. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but malice and deceit. We know what these are, hypocrisy and envy and slander. So, Justin, how can I put those away? I'm glad you asked, long for the word. That's why these verses are connected. He tells us, put away these things. Well, I can't do them on my own. How can we put these things away? Well, by longing for the pure spiritual milk of the word. The most natural thing for a baby to do is to cry for milk. It's a natural longing to be nourished. It's as we get older that we like don't want to eat and stuff like that. But the natural thing for a baby to do is to want to be nourished. And for a child of God, the most natural thing it should be for us is to be nourished. For our souls and our spirits to be nourished to know more of God, to love more of God, to love God's people more, well, the way that we, I think, the way that we stay away from these sins that he lists is to be more in the Word. Put these away. And in doing that, if you're you're longing for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, then you'll see these things go away. See, the Word not only saves us, but the Word is also what sanctifies us. It is what enables us not to just love one another, but actually walk in holiness. The word matures our spiritual lives. And spiritual growth isn't just this mystical feeling. Like you see somebody on stage and like they really got it going on, like they got the, you know, they got all the moves down. It's the the spiritual like throwing the frisbee in worship or or whatever it is, you know, they get all the moves and like this, like this, I really love God. Or I'm um, like you see a person who's very passionate and stuff like, well, oh, they must be mature. No, listen to me. Christian maturity isn't just this mystical thing. It's rational. It says I'm growing in knowledge of God. As I'm growing in knowledge of who the Lord is, my love for him will also continue to grow, it says that, what does it say? Long for pure spiritual, spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The word matures our spiritual lives. God transforms our minds, then by it transforms our actions. Suggesting so all right, land the plane for me. He says, put away all malice, all slander, and all deceit. Listen to me. I would never put those things away if I don't think differently about them. You with me? The way that God transforms our life is first to change the way we view sin. That's what we talked about through Psalm 51, is that he changes the way we perceive and the way we look at things. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 1, doesn't say be renewed by by the transformation of your life. It says what? The renewal of your mind. He changes the way we think about things. He changes the way we view him, the way we view ourselves, the way we view sin. And so there's a, there's a transformation of the mind and the word enables us to think differently about things, to so therefore do things differently. He says, listen to me, if you want to put away these things, the call to long for, for God's word is what will enable you to put away these things. So long for this pure spiritual milk. And he says, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Anybody tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Yes. That, that tasting that the Lord is good should produce a longing for more. You ever had a, like a steak that you took the first bite and you just couldn't stop eating it? No, nobody else. That's just me. Or like think about whatever that dish is, like you you take a bite of it and you just can't get enough of it. That is the image that Peter's given to our relationship with the Lord, that you've tasted it. And listen to me, long for more of it. Why don't we long for it? Like what's broken in us, right? Like, Like what's going on? If he is this good, then why are we not longing for it? Because the milk is the beginning. And Rhett now, he's, dude's eating just what, like he was walking around the other day with just a piece of pizza, right? Just eating, he only got like a couple of teeth. But as we grow, what? We go to more substantial food, right? I have a couple of passages for you in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, But I, brothers, could address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, which is what Peter says, as newborn infants. So he's giving them a break, like, you're new to this thing. And so we're calling you of his long pure spiritual milk. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now, you are not ready, for you are still on the you are still of the flesh. For while there is there is jealousy and strife. You catch the the the, the, the picture there. There's still the uh, among you. Are you not of the sorry? Go to the next. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human way? Now go back to the the previous slide. What you see the connection here is that they're not in the word, and what's happening? There's jealousy and strife. He's still having to talk to them like they're infants in Christ. But we also see it in Hebrews chapter 5, 12 to 14. It says, For those, By this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So, Justin, why are you throwing this in? Are you contradicting what Peter's saying? Long for the pure spiritual milk. Here's what I'm saying is that for, for all of us, when we're born again, we're spiritual infants. But we're infant nonetheless, where for we're truly born again, there will be a longing for that milk. There will be a longing for that nourishment. There will be a long for God's word. But here's the thing, you ready? For some of us, we've been believers longer than I've been alive, and we're still on the milk. We're still on the very surface level of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to know God. And that's what Peter, that's what Paul is writing. So listen to me. By this time, you should be teachers. And this isn't to. To judge or condemn, but listen to me. One of the paradoxes in the Christian life is that we're called to a childlike faith, right? We never, we never grow out of having a childlike faith. What well, childlike faith means, God says the sky's blue. I believe it's blue. I don't question it, and, and, and it's a childlike faith. But there's a difference in childlike faith and childish faith. Big difference. For many people who have known Jesus forever, they spend no time in word, and they're very still immature in their faith and what they believe. And they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Or, or they're here one week and the next week, we don't see them forever, and then they, they're, they're tossed to and fro. Why? Because they're, they're still babies. They're still infants in Christ, if you will, that, yes, there's childlike faith we always have. But the goal here, what we see, the intent of the word is that we're growing up in salvation that we're growing up in the knowledge of God. And so I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to urge you, child of God. If you don't have a longing for God's word, pray that God would give it to you. Pray that God would increase in you a desire to know his word and to know more of him because it and it alone is what is sufficient to sanctify our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Adrian Rogers said it like this. If there's dust on the Bible, there's going to be drought in the heart. Maybe you don't know the peace that Christ offers. Maybe you don't know the joy that we should be having. Maybe you're ineffective in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're still struggling with malice and deceit. All Because it's probably a lack of time in God's word that it and it alone is what can sanctify. Will you pray? Will you come to your face before God and say, God, give me a longing for your word. Give me a longing to know you and know you more. Sorry, I forgot a little loud there. but In the midst of their persecution, Peter says, love one another and long for God's word. Because by it, you can grow up into your salvation, which means you don't get more saved. What it means is you understand what God did for you and on your behalf. And listen to me. We never grow a complete understanding of that. It'd be eons and eternity before we even get a glimmer of what all that meant. If we ever get to somebody who says they understand everything completely, you probably need to get away from them. And I'll say this so so that we have people who are, you know, there's childish, childlike, and then there's people who are, I'm going to study the deep things of God, and they become arrogant and prideful. I'm going to stay this, I'm going to stay alone. You ready? The deeper your knowledge of God, the deeper it grows. Listen to me. The more childlike your faith should become. You with me? Like the more we see God, the more we know God. The more childlike my faith should be. The more I understand that He's God and I'm not. The more He's got to figure it out and I don't. The more, the more under the Christian life is not one that moves from from dependence to independence, but independence to dependence. The more that I know God, is the more I understand. I'm thankful he's God and I'm not. We say it often that the knowledge of God should never puff up. And the more that I know, the more I truly know God that comes into an understanding, the more childlike my faith becomes. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Then long, long for the word. In the New American Commentary, the commentator wrote this, longing to grow spiritually comes from the taste of the beauty of the Lord and experience of his kindness and goodness. Those who pursue God have tasted his sweetness. Christian growth for Peter is not mere a call to duty or alien moralism. The desire to grow springs from an experience of the Lord's kindness and an experience that leaves believers desiring more. You desire more of the Lord. And just real talk, if you have it, if you know you're a child of God, but there's this, this, the stillness. There's this lack of moving forward in your faith and in your desire for Jesus. Would you ask God to give you the longing for Him? So not only does He, and I may be uh, wrong here, but I'm talking right now, and Luke could correct me later. But there's a call to the to the Word, but there's also, I think, a call to long for the Lord in this text. Like at verses beginning in verse four, it says, "As you come to Him, a living stone." Rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up for a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, all for spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's this picture that not only are we longing for the word, but it says as you're coming to him as we're coming to him to offer these spiritual sacrifices, as we're coming to for the Lord, we want to be in his presence, we're coming to him. Uh, it's, it's almost like Peter is assuming that believers are going to be coming to him to offer worship. It's, he's almost assuming like it's just going to be a natural thing for people to know Jesus, to want to come worship him, to offer sacrifices to him. And this, Peter's not thinking of like animal sacrifice. He's literally thinking about we're coming in our lives through Jesus Christ or living lived as a sacrifice uh, uh, to the Lord, as, a, as in we're, we're living it for his glory. So, so he says, as you come to him, so he's saying there's a call to, to long for the Lord, not just the word, but the Lord of the word. He says, for his worship, we are being, he says, we are being built up like a spiritual house. So we're coming to him. And why are we coming to him? To offer sacrifice. But as we're coming, God is doing a work, and uh, us, us together that he himself is building us up like living stones. I want to show you the connection here. Notice in verse uh, four it says, as you come to him, this being Jesus, Jesus is the living stone. You see that? And then it comes to us, what does he call us? We're like living stones. And so <laughs> uh, you see the relationship between Jesus and his, uh, his believers, his, his followers. And so it says, we are like living stones, but what does it say about Christ that he was rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious? And so he's calling us to long for the Lord, to worship Him, to be a holy priest, to offer spiritual sacrifices. And what we see in this text is that not everyone trusts in Jesus. We see that he was rejected by men. We see him quote the Psalms, and it says that he's a. He's been rejected and has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He was rejected by men, but he was chosen and precious in the sight of God. And notice what the scripture says in verse, end of verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the word. So we understand on one side that obedience to the word results in one area. Or it's a it's salvation. It's purification. It's being part of God's people. But disobedience, of so the word, gives you on this side. And so the word ultimately is what divides us. Whether divides sheep from goats, if you will, those who will trust Jesus and those who won't. The word, and you know, as much as if it is inclusive, it is that much more exclusive. In a sense that this is who God is. This is how He's revealed Himself. Whether Believe in him or not. To long to worship the Lord. We see this imagery of the spiritual house, a holy priesthood whose duty was to to offer sacrifices, to worship the Lord. I want to show you something real cool that I, I saw This morning, so it gives us go back to bring your mind's eye to He's the living stone, and He's rejected by men. Everybody with me on that? Then He says, "You yourselves are like living stones," and so the the living stone, or building you who are Christian little Christ, is He's building you up to be a spiritual house, so that through this house, ultimately, so you see, first of all, that God's glory doesn't rest in a building; it rests in a people. The people are the stones that are building. That the God's building to be the spiritual house. It's the people who are making up this structure, if you will, but it's to offer sacrifices. And so, but he says, Christ is the living stone. You're like living stones. And the living stones rejected by men. These men rejected the word. And we often know that oftentimes we're rejected by people as well. But you see this shift in verse 9 when it says, when verse 8 it says, they disobey the word as they were destined to. Verse 9, but you. You little stones, just like Jesus was rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. You little stones may be rejected by men as well, but you're chosen and precious in the sight of God. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you receive mercy, but now you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's a beautiful picture there that, as followers of Jesus, that once we were the disobedient, once we were the outcast, but now scripture says that you're a chosen race, that you're a royal priesthood. When I think about adjectives that describe my life royal is never one of them but through the sufficient work of Christ scripture now declares you a royal priesthood a holy nation notice these words are not individualistic it's it's corporate you're a chosen race not just a chosen person you're a You're a royal priesthood, not just a priest, that you're a holy nation, a people, not just a person, but a people for his own possession. And here's why. Here's why God's done that work. You ready? That you may proclaim his excellences. Not because you were pretty, not because you smelled good, not because you just needed some help, but the reason in which God has done the work to make you or call us who were once far off to bring us near, to bring salvation to it primarily so that we would proclaim how excellent he is. God's mission. We commit to God's truth, we commit to God's people, we commit to God's mission. Why? Because He has called us to do this. And so I'm somewhere in these notes too. We want we're called to long for the word. we're called to long for the Lord that we may worship Him. we're ready that others may worship him as well. Why do missions exist? I think Piper said it's because worship doesn't. Why do we go and share the good news? Yes, we love people, but more than anything, we want our God to be worshiped. We want him to receive the, the rightful worship and praise that he alone and willing praise. What people don't understand, whether you bend the knee now to Jesus or or not, one day every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that he's Lord. We want to give people the opportunity to profess Him now. Why? Because he, he alone deserves the worship of every, every person on the face of this planet. So he's calling us to long, to long, to love, to long for the word, to long for the worship of the Lord, not just in our lives, but in every life on this planet. Lastly, there's a call to live. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's something that I was punched in the face with this week. The call to God's mission, to be committed to God's mission, is both vocal and practical. The previous verse, we say, we there's a proclamation. We're proclaiming the excellences, And now what's Peter telling them to do? To live it, too. To live it, he says, as sojourners and exiles, he reminds them that this is not... Their home, this they're just passing through. But as we're here to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, that ultimately this isn't imagery. This isn't, we have this idea that the Christian life is just this passive let go and let God type thing. But the reality is, is that the Christian life is a is militant, especially in regards to sin and abstaining from the passions of the flesh. And Peter's saying, listen to me, as you're walking in this r- world, remember this is not your home, but as you're walking through abstain from the passions of the flesh. We looked at last week how God helps us do that, but to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And he says, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. To live in such a way that the people not only hear you proclaim the exorcism, but they see your life and actually believe that he exists. Uh, commentator said it like this, that Peter's hope was that unbelievers will be compelled to admit that the lifestyle of the believer is morally beautiful, and this admission will bring them to saving faith so that God will be glorified on the day of judgment. So here's where the challenge is, right? You and I, when we commit to God's mission, it's not just we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to live it. That the gospel is actually going to change the way we live our life. It's this, Peter nearly quotes Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount to let your good deeds so people can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He just changes on the day of visitation. So there's really, that's like his return. And it's even more, not just like a little more urgency there, that Jesus is coming back. Live in such a way that when he comes back, first of all, you're found faithful. Not just proclaiming, but living. But live as if he's coming back. Honorable, it's, it, if you were to study it, it's, it's not a defensive life. It's a life of virtue and goodness. That Christians, Do you know Christians should be like the nicest people? But most, most of us are just the most angriest people. Right? They're the, it's like people tell me all the time, yeah, I'm blessed. And I want to say, well, tell your face that. You with me? Like, and we should be people of virtue. Esther, do you like that one? (laughs) We should be people of virtue and goodness. So much not in a way that we're just, we put our arms around everybody in every situation and we say, yeah, your truth is your truth, and that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. But we should live and conduct ourselves in such a way that people go, they believe what they talk about. There's something different about the hope that they have. There's something different about the joy because their joy isn't connected to to the things that could be taken away. Think about context here. right They were literally losing things, and Peter reminded them that their inheritance wasn't in things that could be taken away from them. It was It was actually kept in heaven for them. that God, the Father was actually keeping their inheritance, that their joy was not anchored in their possessions or their circumstances. And this is what I believe, that if you and I will long, if we will long for God's word, that we will immerse ourselves in it. We'll be able to begin to see that our eyes, we gain perspective in life and other things, but we'll fall more in love with Jesus. The only way you fall more in love with somebody is spend time with them. I loved Ashley nine and a half years ago, but I love her even more now. I can't say the same for her with me, but but we've grown in love. Why? Because we've lived life together. That's how love and relationships work. Well, with Christ, the only way we're going to fall more in love with Jesus is by spending time with him. Primarily, we do that through his revealed word. Oh, God, give us a longing for your word because by it, we can be raised up. We can mature in the faith. By it, we can have a strong stance, no matter what life throws at us. By it, we can know the hope in which we've been called to and the power that that Paul prays and Ephesians, the power that's directed to it. By the word of God, we will know who our God is and what it is means to be people of his possession. And we commit to love God's people. The good news is that God, through the gospel, and that the power of the Holy Spirit not only calls us to love one another, but enables us to love one another. Which means, like, this church loving stuff, it, it's hard, right? It ain't the easiest thing in the world, but through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can commit ourselves to love one another. And thirdly, we commit ourselves to live for God's glory in committing to his mission. So there's your core values in First Peter chapter one and two. This morning, I want to ask you: do you know this Jesus? Do you know this love in which we talk about? Have you ever been born again? Have you ever trusted in Jesus? This active, that's where it starts, is that the, the word is active in our life, and its first work in our life is that it causes us to be born again. It's like we know we're talking about babies a lot, but when a baby's born. It's the first thing it does. It cries. It longs. for, some, And that's a picture that the, work, that the Word and the Spirit does, is that it causes us to be born again. What happens is we cry out to the Lord in, in faith and belief. Have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? Because he and he alone is the one that can save. There is no hope. There is no salvation apart from him. No other name has been given among men which men may be saved. Maybe, if we're honest, we've been struggling in our Christian life, and maybe we're, these, these sins that Peter listed, or maybe other sins, we've fallen off into those, and they have now have dominion over us, like we see in Psalm 19. And maybe this morning we need to confess to the Lord, Lord, I confess these sins to you, but I don't want to just confess them, because if, if we don't get in God's Word, if we, don't, if we can't just say, I'm done with these, we have to fill ourselves with something else. God, give me a longing for your word. Give me a longing to know you more, that by it I can grow up to be spiritually discerning. Give me a love for God's people. I don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke to you this morning, but I pray that you will submit and surrender to it. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get out of the way, and the band's will come up. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. we thank you for your word. we thank you for your truth. <clears throat> God, we thank you that Your word has given us the capacity to to love one another, that this is a place that a room full of people who come from different backgrounds, different stories. God, for those who have trusted in Jesus, God, we are united by the greatest unifier in the world, and that is the blood of Christ. it, It doesn't matter your socioeconomic level. It doesn't matter your your past. <laughs> it doesn't matter who our family is or who our family wasn't. That all of us were sinners in need of you. And that when we trust in you, God, that we together become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that are yours, that you can take our lives, that, that for the most part, are focused on things that are not eternal. But God, you can give us a purpose, and that is to proclaim your excellences, to proclaim eternal truths. So God, I pray if there's anybody in here this morning who does not know you, who's not trusted in you for salvation, God, that your Holy Spirit would reveal that to them. God, for the believer in here who has just grown stale in their walk. <coughs> God, may your word call us to, to put away those sins, but at the same time long for your word. And to long for you, your presence, your worship in your word because by it the man of God is trained and equipped by it your, your son is warned but also by it the heart is delighted God, we thank you for the sufficient word of God we thank you for the well-rounded all-sided word of God that is completely perfect as your word says about itself That no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're walking through, your Word is sufficient. So I pray for the child of God who, like I said, is stale or there needs to be confession and repentance. God, at the same time, they'll cry out, cry out to have a longing for you, your presence, and your Word. Everything you for the opportunity to participate in your mission to be able to pray for people, groups, to go on mission trips. God, you've placed us here at this at Cross Point Church. We're a group. We're a holy nation. We're a chosen race. We're a people of your own possession. And our job is to proclaim how excellent you are in our in our mouth, by our mouth and by our actions, to live honorably among the outsiders. So God be with us. So Christ, Christ's name we pray. I mean you can stand and you can move as the Lord leads me and Luke would be standing